Take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I've mentioned this before, um, but when I was growing up, we had, we had four apple trees in our backyard. And uh, they were always, the apples were always pretty small. They were always pretty sour. Most of the time they had little worm holes in them and everything else. We ate them every once in a while, but they weren't good, you know. It was just when you're growing up and, you know, there's 10 kids in the house and you're not allowed to go to the cupboard and get whatever you want whenever you want. You went to the apple trees and ate what you could get, you know. Um, but uh, one of the things that, that we did with them the most was to use them for fighting. And, uh, boy, those things were the perfect size that you could, I mean, you could really whip those apples. And we're supposed to be out there, you know, splitting wood or something like that, and somebody would throw an apple, and you get hit right in the middle of the back with one of those things. And, man, it makes you mad enough that you're picking them up. Next thing you know, there's apples flying everywhere out there, you know. Uh, and it produced a lot of apples, but they were all small, and you couldn't do anything with them, you know. Um, and it turned out, obviously, I didn't know anything about it back then, but somebody told us, you know, years later that what you need to do if you want good apples is to prune those trees back, you know. Well, my parents never really cared about getting apples off it, I guess, so we never really pruned them, and they never put out good apples, you know. Um, fast forward a few years and to the house that we live in now, and there's two pear trees. They were there when we moved in, and they're Jerusalem pears, and so they, they have kind of the consistency of an apple, but they taste like a pear. Uh, they're not as, as really soft and juicy as a pear that you might get, you know, or what you think of when you think of a pear. But um, we moved in in September, and that's right about the time when they start really producing the fruit, and there just wasn't a lot. I mean, we realized that it was a pear tree, um, but it was, you know, it wasn't a whole lot there. I almost cut them down because, you know, they were just these big monstrosities, you know. And, and somebody said, well, maybe you should just, you know, prune them back and see what happens. So I said, you know, that's a good idea, and I pruned them way back, you know. And uh, so last year was probably the second growing season since we've been there. And I'm telling you what, these, these pears were so huge. Uh, I mean, you can't, some of these, I mean, it, it'll take up your whole fist, you know, your whole hand just for one of these pears. And this year, um, the, there's so many pears on the tree, and they're, they're not even, they're probably half grown right now, but there's so many pears. It's actually broken a couple branches off of the tree because they're so heavy, and there's so many of them. Uh, by the way, it's not going to be too long before them things start, you know, they get ripe and start putting out the fruit. And when we get them, you can have as many of those as you want. So you want some pears, you bring a five-gallon bucket, and I'll fill it up for you. And, um, but, you know, what was the difference between those two things? The apple trees that, that produced apples but nothing good, and then pear trees that are producing fruit that's so big it's breaking its own branches, you know? The difference was in the pruning process. And there's, there's an important conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in John chapter 15. And honestly, John chapter 15 kind of picks it up right in the middle of that conversation. He had just told them at the end of chapter 13, Jesus talking to his disciples, that he was going to be leaving. And obviously they didn't quite understand. I mean, for the longest time, even after Jesus rose from the dead, they thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. So they were trying to wrap their minds around exactly what he's talking about. And of course, you would expect this to be, but Peter speaks up first, and um, it didn't take long for Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times after Peter said, I'll go to the death for you, you know. And Jesus said, no, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the, before the cock crows twice. And obviously that happened. But then we come into John chapter 14, and you're familiar with at least the first few verses of that chapter. He starts to tell them about what he's going to do, um, you know, uh, what he's going to do for them and give them a comfort about, about the fact that he's going to prepare a place for them. Well, then Thomas pipes up and, and he asked Christ how 
to know where Jesus was going and how to get where Jesus was going. And that's the, you know, Jesus told him the f familiar verse that in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And obviously that's a verse we use often, but he continues on in that conversation. And then it was Philip's turn. His, his question for Jesus was, uh, was to show them the Father. And Christ talked about the comfort of the Holy Ghost that was going to come and, and take his place uh, the Holy Ghost that was going to be sent in his place when he was gone. And then came Judas a little later on in chapter 14. Not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas. And the Bible makes that, that plain in verse 22. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? So he wanted to know how Christ would manifest himself. And Jesus gave a fuller explanation of what the work of the Holy Spirit would be on this earth. And how the Holy Spirit was going to come and be a comforter and guide them into truth and, and all of these other things. And that led into John 15. Jesus led into some very important truths about being fruitful. And the disciples are learning that purging is a big part of that process that God uses to prepare us for, for greater productivity. And we come to John chapter 15 and verse number 1. And we could read a lot of this passage. I'm, most going to, I'm just going to focus on these first two verses of this chapter this morning, but he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. A husbandman is a gardener. Uh, but verse 2, he said, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. It's amazing to see how well fruit trees produce, or, or any tree for that matter, uh, when they're tended to properly. You know, a few weeks ago, we came up here to the, to the building and, and uh, with Miss Barbara and, and Jackson and Alex, all of us were up here, my wife, and we, we pruned back these, the bushes and these crepe myrtles out in the front. I mean, they, they almost took over the whole front of the building. I, I pruned those things back to there was nothing but a stump there. And if you go out there, it's only been a couple weeks. But if you go out there and look at these crepe myrtles now, they're already growing up and almost a, the size of the front of the building again. But we, we pruned all of the... Uh, uh, the rose bushes and all of the other bushes. And if you go out there, we haven't even had much rain, but if you go out there and look, these things are starting to, they're starting to really grow. They're starting to really produce new life. And that's exactly what happens when we have pruning and purging. And I think in life, in, in all the ministries that we do, we're kidding ourselves if we believe that we're never going to face this process. So what can we learn along, along with the disciples about purging? I want to take a few minutes this morning to point out some things that we see in this passage about purging. The whole purpose uh, is to get us to bring forth more fruit. That's why he takes us through this purging process. The title of the message this morning is Bringing Forth Fruit. Let's see what we can learn from this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time around your word this morning. Pray that you'd make it profitable for us, that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, and that we'd change the things that need to be changed in order to be more productive and more fruitful Christians for you. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts through the message in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I want you to see this, and this is probably a very um, obvious fact, but purging is painful. Purging is painful. To purge means to prune, to cut or lop off as in twigs, branches, or anything undesirable. That's the definition. That doesn't sound pleasant, does it? When you talk about lopping something off, it just doesn't sound like it's a pleasant process at all. Because normally you're talking about you know, the French Revolution and you're lopping somebody's head off or something like that. That's kind of the, the, the connotation that we get with that, with that definition. But that's exactly what it is. It's cutting something off. 
It's getting rid of something that's undesirable, and it does, it's not something that's enjoyable for the object that's being lopped off, obviously. But the devil promises glory without suffering. That's something that he absolutely cannot deliver on, by the way. There is no glory without suffering, and that's exactly what God promises us. God promises, promises us glory through suffering. And that's not a pleasant situation, but great trials are often necessary to get us to the point uh, where we have greater responsibilities and greater blessings. But it, a, a lot of times it takes us going through some difficult trials to get us to that point. We have to be patient in the pain of purging. It takes time. But you know, one of the problems with us as Christians is we don't like patience. We don't want patience. We are accustomed and we're trained in this world to have everything right now, right? We got instant rice. We got instant, you know, whatever. We have instant drive-through food, right? And if somebody takes longer than two or three minutes in the drive-through, we're yelling at them, what's taking you so long, right? That's what we've been trained to do. I want something, I get it tomorrow with Amazon Prime, right? Uh, if I want it, I should be able to go to the store and pick it up right now. I want it now. I want it now. There is absolutely no patience in our society, at least the way that we're trained and the way that they're training us, right? If you want it, you can have it, and it can be yours right now. But God works through patience. Look, one of the things about Job, and, and we know the story of Job. Obviously, we're not going to go back and take time to go through the entire thing, but one of the things about Job that we all know well is his trials, his suffering, right? God was using those things not to punish him. He was using those things to get him to a place where he could be more productive and be more useful for him. But what does the Bible talk about about Job? The patience of Job, right? That's the thing that Job is known for is the patience of Job. Why is that? Because God uses patience. Patience is staying in God's purging until his work is finished. That's the hard part. See, that's not, God doesn't work by giving us instant gratification. Instant, you know, oh, well, I want you to be better. So, poof, here you are. You're a better Christian. No, it takes, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes that purging. And that purging process is painful. And it's long sometimes. But God is using that to help us be more productive for him, God uses purging in our lives to shape us and to make us more productive for him. Just like one songwriter said, in order to walk in the steps of the Savior, we must begin by shaping our lives by his blessed example, right? It's a song that we sing often, shaping our lives by his blessed example, how beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior. But how does that happen? That only happens through patience and through purging and through him doing that work in our lives. And of course, none of us enjoys the pain of purging and pruning. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. It sounds like one of those obscure books, but it's actually the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Because honestly, the purging process works the same way when it comes to refining silver. And the Bible talks about that in Malachi chapter 3, and there's, there's a little bit more around that passage, but I just want to look at this one verse, and in fact, just one phrase of this one verse, because it says there in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 3, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Now, there was a group of ladies in the 1800s, actually, in Dublin that were, that were getting together to do a Bible study, and they were puzzled by the words that they saw in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3. 
he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So one of the ladies promised that she would go visit the silversmith that week and report to them what he said about the subject of this refining silver. And so she went without telling him why she was going there, without telling him the object of her, of her visit. Uh, she asked him about this silver process, the refining process of silver. And he started taking it. He said, well, I'm, I'm actually getting ready to put some in right now. So I'll tell you what, let's just, I'll, I'll walk you through the process. And so she watched as he did that. And, and so she asked him, she said, do you sit there while you're doing your work? And he said, absolutely. He said, I, I have to sit there with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace. If I take my eye off of the furnace where that silver is being purified for even a second, it might get too hot and the silver would be ruined. And she watched as he went through this process and the silver, he would turn up the heat and the, the dross would rise to the top and he would wipe the dross off the top of that silver and he would turn the heat up some more. Believe it or not, more dross would rise to the top and he would wipe that dross off the top. And just the hotter it got, the more dross that would be risen to the top of that pot of silver. And he could clean it off of there and then turn up the heat some more. And she saw the beauty and the comfort in the expression, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Because she realized that even though that, that silver was in the fire, he did not take his eyes off it for even a minute. And so... Obviously, she started to put two and two together. You know, Christ sees it as needful to put his children through the furnace sometimes. Sometimes he has to turn up the heat. But he's not doing it because he's trying to make our life miserable. He's not doing it because he's trying to make our life hard just for the sake of making our life hard. He's doing it because he's trying to get that dross to rise to the top, to get out those impurities so he can take them out of our life. And then he gets those impurities out. And sometimes he has to turn up the heat a little bit more. Because there's more impurities that need to come out. And obviously, we're never going to be perfectly sinless. We're never going to be perfectly pure until we get our glorified bodies. But we ought to be trying to be that way. We ought to be trying to live our life as sinless as we possibly can. And, oh, oh well, there's no way I can ever be sinless in this life, so I'm just going to give up. No, it should be the exact opposite of that. We ought to be doing everything that we can to try to be as close as, to, to Jesus Christ as we can and as much like him as we can, which is also interesting about the silver refining process. This lady, as she finished up watching what he was doing with this silver, thanked him and turned to leave. And as she was just getting ready to walk out the door, he got her attention. He said, oh, oh there's one more thing that I'd like to tell you. He said, I guess I didn't finish up with the process. He said, the way that I can tell this silver is completely purified is when I can see my reflection." And boy, isn't that exactly the way that God does that with us? He's wanting to purify us and get rid of that dross and purify us and get rid of that dross and turn up the heat so he can get rid of more dross. Why? So we can walk around and talk about how good we are and how valuable we are? No. So that the master can see his reflection in our life. That's what he's trying to purify us for. That's what he purges us for. And is it painful? Yes. Is it a difficult process? Yes. Is it, does it require patience? Yes. But he's doing it for our own good. Some of the things are only learned in the fiery furnace. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story. We're not going to take the time to go all the way back through it, but they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And it wasn't until they were in the fire that they realized that, the Holy, that, that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was walking around in that fire with them. Oh, I'm sure they believed that God could deliver them. That's why they were willing to go to the fiery furnace. 
But until they were in the fire, not until they were in the fire did they realize that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was right there with them. And I know silver doesn't have a feeling, but could you imagine how it would feel for the silver to go through that process? Not pleasant, but oh, the result of the purging. It's purified. It's beautiful and it's valuable. Purging is painful, but the second thing, and you can go back to John chapter 15, that you have to know is this, purging is promised. Purging is promised. The process is promised to all of those who are already productive for the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse number 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. It's promised. If you are a Christian that is producing fruit, and that's the only way the Bible says that you can tell that someone is a Christian, by their fruits ye shall know them, right? If we're producing fruit as a Christian, then he is going to purge us to help us to be able to bring more fruit. We've been called to be faithful and fruitful Christians. And dare I say this, as a true Christian, it's painful, but we'll, we'll, we should actually desire that purging process. That's a tough thing to say, but we should desire that purging process if we're a Christian. No, we don't want to suffer, and no, we don't want to have to go through difficulty, but those who want to be productive for Christ know that there must be some kind of purging in order for us to be productive. That's what happens with every fruit tree. It's just going to keep growing and keep getting bigger, and it's going to produce less and less fruit because it gets overgrown. And you have to purge those things back if you want good fruit. That's the same thing that happens in our lives. And so as Christians, even though it's not fun and even though it's not a pleasant thing, we should be desiring that purging in our life because that's what's going to make us more productive, more fruitful for Jesus Christ. Now, I do believe that a, a smart Christian, if you will, is going to do the purging process himself before God has to come and do that purging. Those who fear the Lord are going to do that purging process themselves. They realize, boy, there's sin in my life. I need to get this out. But sometimes we don't. And sometimes we persist in that sin. And often it's known sin that we're persisting in. And God has to come in with those clippers and start clipping those things back. And it's, then it becomes really unpleasant. And it becomes really painful. But it's a necessary process and it's a promised process. Those who belong to Jesus Christ can expect that there will be purging in their life. May I give you a warning this morning? If you're living your life backslidden, or if you're living your life in known sin, you better watch out. Purging is going to take place. Purging is going to happen. He promises that if we're going to bring forth fruit, then we're going to go through that purging process. Somebody said this, Blessed is the man who knows how to make stepping stones out of stumbling blocks. You've got to remember the fact that you're in the midst of some painful pruning may mean that the Lord is desiring for you to step up and become even more fruitful. That's why he puts us through that process. He's not trying to make our life miserable just for the sake of doing it. Oh, I'm God, so I can put my thumb on you and squish you into the ground if I want to. That's not how God operates. God is a God of love, and the reason he does it is not out of vengeance. The reason he does it is not out of spite or out of hate. He does it out of love. That's why he purges us. So if you're going through the middle of a process that, that's difficult and, and, and God is going through that purging process with you, and many times we want to throw up our hands and say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you picking on me? He's not picking on us. He's pruning us. He's purging us. He's trying to get us to the point where we can be productive for him. And the only way that that's possible is if we go through that pruning, pruning process. 
God has to drive us out of our comfort zone to make us useful. You think about branches that get shaggy and uh, because, you know, uh, that's what happens with us in our lives. The branches get shaggy and we get comfortable. We get we just get so used to, you know, either in sin or in doing little for Christ. But that's that's when we see that pruning process take place. Another statement I like is this. Often our trials act as a thorn hedge to keep us in the good pasture. But our prosperity is a gap through which we go astray. And I'm not saying that, oh, you're, you're doing well financially, then you're, you're out of God's will. No, I believe that many times God blesses Christians financially because they're Christians and because they're doing what God wants them to do. But many times that prosperity is what causes us to sit back and relax and get overgrown in our Christian life and, and not be what we can be for Him because we're just, hey, life is easy right now. Life is great. Sometimes that little prosperity is the, the doorway that we go through that leads us into a pasture that God never intended us for, intended for us to be in. And let me, let me add this. What a, what a loving, caring God who would actually take the time to purge us and to prune us. What good is a tree that doesn't produce fruit? Really? I mean, most fruit trees are not beautiful trees. You know, so the, the reason you keep a fruit tree around is because it produces fruit, right? What good is a tree that doesn't produce fruit? And what good is a gardener who has a tree in his garden that he won't prune so that it can bring forth fruit? What a loving God we have who will actually take the time to come into our lives and prune us and care for us and purge us and get out all the dead branches and get out all the extra branches that are going to be in the way of us producing good fruit. So it's not, God, why me? You must hate me. It's God, thank you for loving me enough to take the time to purge me. Thank you for loving it enough, uh, loving me enough to take the time to prune back the branches that need to be pruned back. Is it painful sometimes? Yes. Is it also promised? Also yes. But here's the good news. We see this at the end of John chapter 15 and verse 2. Purging is productive. Purging is productive. It's painful. It is painful sometimes, and, and it's promised. We're going to go through that purging, but purging is productive. Uh, I've heard it said that a gem cannot be polished without friction, nor the child of God perfected without adversity. You think about an oyster that takes a grain of sand. That thing is an annoyance to that oyster, and it's not something that's pleasant inside the shell, but that oyster takes that grain of sand, and he makes a pearl out of it. And that's exactly what God wants to do through our trials. He wants to take those trials. He wants to take those tribulations. He wants to take those difficult things and make something beautiful out of it. It's exactly what he's trying to do in our lives. Diamonds are formed under great pressure and heat. And if those conditions, the pressure and the heat don't exist, then there, it, it, there's just no diamond that's going to be formed. It's not like you're going to get a lower quality diamond or a smaller inside a smaller in size diamond, you're not going to get a diamond at all if there is no pressure and no heat. And, and I think that's exactly what God does when he brings that refining fire into our life. He's trying to create us into what he sees fit. And, and when, you know, where there's a lack of character, he'll bring into our lives what we need. So the next time a, a fiery trial comes, and maybe you're in the middle of a fiery trial right now, but when those things come, we ought to thank God for those things because those things are only there to make us stronger. They're only there to make us better. They're only there to make us more productive as Christians. The only difference between a diamond and a piece of coal is pressure. 
right? And sometimes you have Christians who are just pieces of coal because they, they, don't, they don't respond to that pressure. When the heat comes, they run the other way. They stop coming to church. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. They start blaming God. And they're going to stay as a lump of coal. But then those who respond to that pressure, and it drives them closer to God, and it drives them closer to what he wants them to be, those are the ones that come out as diamonds on the other side. The difference between a non-productive Christian and a productive Christian is the purging and the pruning that he's gone through. Jesus gives us the reason for purging in verse number 2 of John chapter 15. He says, that it may bring forth more fruit. That it may bring forth more fruit. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God desires for us to bring forth more fruit. And we should be willing to endure some painful seasons of our life if they cause us to become more productive for him. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul faced some painful uh, obstacles, but they made him even more productive for the Lord. Chapter 12 and verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now there's no, the Bible does not say, Paul does not say what this thorn in the flesh was. Many people consider it to be his eyesight. They said that Paul's eyesight was, was terrible and that he was asking God to have his eyesight back. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, he says in verse 8, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, God said unto Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In the middle of pain, Paul became even more productive for God. And that's the whole purpose of this process. Perhaps God sent you a thorn in the flesh. That, that's there not to make, again, to make your life miserable. It's there to help you be what God wants you to be. It's, help, it, it's there to help you be more productive. It's there to help you produce fruit. Our job is to trust the Lord and be willing to not only endure some of those painful seasons, but to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to cause us to be more fruitful. Are you going through a purging season in your life right now? The Holy Spirit working you over about some things that you need to change in your life? He's not. That's that's honestly that's cause for concern. If the Holy Spirit's if you're not even convicted about things that you know are wrong, then I'm not saying that you're not saved, but that's that's some cause for some serious concern in your life. The Holy Spirit does do that in the life of a Christian. He convicts us of sin. But if he is, then be glad he's still willing to work on you. Be glad he still considers you valuable enough as a tree that he's willing to prune you and purge you and get out those things that need to be gotten out so that he can be used, so that, that he can use you. It's not fun, but you come out better and more productive on the other side. I heard a humorous story, and I'm sure it's just a story, but two frogs fell into a tub of cream. And... Um, obviously, it was a tub, so there was no way for them to just easily climb out. And one looked at the high sides of this tub, and he said, there's no way. This is too difficult. And he gave up. And he sank down to the bottom of that pail. But another one said, you know what? I know these things are difficult, and it doesn't look like there's any way out, but I'm going to kick until I can't kick anymore. And he started kicking and kicking and kicking, and pretty soon he jumped out of the top of that tub on a whole pile of butter. And that's exactly what happens when we go through trials in our life. 
we can say, oh, this is so difficult. Oh, I can't handle this anymore. We can give up. We can sink to the bottom and we can be done. Or we can fight through. We can keep kicking. We can realize that there's a better purpose for the reason that we're going through those things, and that's because God is trying to make us productive. I'll be the first to admit that purging is no fun. Painful. It's hard to endure. But as Christians, God loves his children. God cares about his children. You can guarantee that you're going to face purging. It's promised. But, but, purging is productive. It helps us to become exactly what God wants us to be. Let him keep purging. Let him keep pruning. Let him keep making you what he wants you to be. When you get to heaven, you'll be glad that you did. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time we can spend together this morning. I thank you for the truths that we have in the word of God. And I know that each one of us has been through or is in the middle of the purging process. God, I pray that you'd help us to desire that purging. We stop desiring that purging and we might as well give up in the Christian life because we're not going to be productive for Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us to desire that purging. But when we're in the middle of it, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded that you're doing it for our good. And that you're doing it so that we can be productive Christians for you. God, I pray that every single Christian in here this morning would be a productive Christian, that we'd produce fruit, that we'd live like Christians, but that we'd witness like Christians, and that you can use us in the way that you want to use us. You have a plan for every single person's life. I pray that you'd help us to be fulfilling those plans. I pray that you'd help us to be doing your will. Where we're not, God, I pray that you'd allow us Help us to allow you to go through that pruning process with us so that we can once again be productive Christians for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.